I wish Tom Hardy was in here. They're not Tom Hardy. God, Tom, <laughs> if Hardy. Tom Hardy was in this movie. It'd be done in five minutes because <laughs> everybody did. Tom Hardy would <laughs> everyone up, and then game over. That's my bad. Welcome to the What's Our Verdict podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-hosts, Javier Ortiz. What is up, my nerds? Ian Anderson. Some shit. And we have a very special guest host, Alec Burgess, joining us today. Alec, welcome. We appreciate you. You're our most active fan. We love having you on the podcast. We love reading your comments every Monday on the website. If you want to check out Alec's posts, go li- go check out our website at whatsourverdict.com, man. He's on there every week. We love it. Thanks for joining us, Alec. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks, to, thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be a part of the podcast. Hell yeah. We're so excited. The question is, do you ever find yourself wondering if you should spend the time, money, or both on a movie? We're here to answer that question for you. Each week we put a movie on trial, we discuss the facts, and we pass judgment and let you know our verdict. We do appreciate any help growing the podcast by hitting that follow or subscribe button. Tell a friend about us. Go check out our website. Like I said, check out Alex's posts. Leave a post of your own. We'd love comments from you. Get in our email list. I've got round two of our outtakes very soon. Plus, we're going to start sending out a monthly Here's the Movies Coming. So be aware of that. It'll let you watch the movie before you get on and listen. So today we're reviewing The Devil All the Time. This Netflix original movie was released September 16th, 2020. It was written by Antonio Campos and Paolo Campos. It's directed by Antonio Campos. It stars Bill Skarsgård, Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Sebastian Stan, Riley Cuff, Jason Clark, Harry Melling, and Haley Bennett. Sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality. We're going to go into deep dive. If you want spoiler-free, The road is dark and full of spoilers if you stick with us on this version of the podcast. So go check out YouTube and go check out our spoiler-free review. It's only about 10 minutes long, but we let you know whether you should watch it or not. So go check that out. Once you've watched the movie or if you've decided you're not going to, so you just want to hear the hilarity that will ensue, come back, check us out on the podcast and we'll deep dive right now. So last warning, if you haven't watched this movie and you want to, you're afraid of spoilers, get the hell out, go watch it, come back because we're about to spoil the shit out of this thing. All right, boys. I fucking love this movie. Oh, jeez. I know, and I knew Javier was going to hate it. I'm curious how hilarity is going to ensue. Like, with the you movie. must have a great life. <laughs> I do. How hilarity is going to ensue? Well, because it's us talking about it. I mean, <laughs> it was too depressing. I love a movie. Javier doesn't like a movie. Ian wanted to slit his wrists and do push-ups in a saltwater bath when he was done. So, and Alec, he loved it with me. So, yeah, I don't know what movie Javier shit. and Ian watched. It must not have been the same one. <laughs> Uh, it was the movie where everyone committed suicide, died of cancer, or got shot in the face. It was that movie. Do you remember that one? I remember that. Nah, what I saw was I saw Pennywise, I saw Spider-Man, I saw Winter Soldier, and I saw Alice in Wonderland all in the same movie. That's what I saw. Okay, so I have a confession to make. I did not know that all those actors were in this movie. <laughs> I, I also saw a shitty version of John Connor, and I also saw the Tenet guy. What's his name? What was his name in Tenet? Oh, I am, I'm blanking. Neil. Neil. Oh, I couldn't remember his character's oh, name. Oh, Neil. Oh, oh, oh. Dude, yeah, yeah. what a great fucking Edward. word. 
Yeah, Edward Cullen. I I blocked that shit out. Smart. That shit doesn't exist. Don't lie, man. That's your favorite movie, isn't it? Oh, I had to fucking sit through that shit, all five of them or whatever the hell it was. Because Casey got, we went and saw Tenet. So she's like, oh, Robert Pattinson, I fucking love him. And so she was like, we have to watch him. And I'm like, ah, shit. Dude, Nicole's on a twilight bender right now too she read the first book and now she's watching she's literally out in the living room right this second watching a twilight movie with her sisters i shit you not burn your house down sir burn your house down yeah <laughs> but let's jump in guys i love this movie and i knew i was in for a ride when the first thing starts and uh, cool fact before we get too deep the narrator is the author of the book that this is based off of oh so I thought that was cool as shit I that he was able to be that involved. <laughs> it says it in the end credits. Do you not watch the end credits, Javier? Dude, I jumped out of this movie as soon as I possibly could. Like, it was like fade to black. And I was like, boom, out of here. I'm done. 100%. Yeah, so I knew I was in for a ride when the first thing they show is these guys in World War II in the South Pacific, and you see this soldier bloodied, beaten, and crucified with like a Rambo Bowie knife in his foot. I'm just like, holy shit, flies everywhere, and then he wakes up. And then they, thankfully, I mean, it was disturbing and rough, but it sets the tone for this movie and starts you right out the gate with the anti-war sentiment that he, they, they, him and his fellow compatriots shoot this man in the head to put him out of his misery because it just looked, I was like, oh, this poor bastard. And then he wakes up and you're just like, oh, what the hell? Yeah. Such a crazy start to this movie. One of the first themes of this movie that rides throughout is the, and I love the way they play it out. They start off with the death played by Bill Skarsgård, who's amazing, and how his life was tainted by this one thing that was part of an uglier thing. So this war, he's in this war. We all know war sucks ass no matter where you're at or what part you're in it. But then he has this traumatic experience of having to kill a soldier and then keep it a secret with four other men because it's the shame of his life. And it dro- it pushes him to extremes everywhere else in his life. And so we do see how different generations are influenced by certain parts of their life. It's no different than millennials, which I barely consider myself one, but I am one on paper. You bastards are right in the heart of that millennial Walk shit. Welcome to the club, buddy. <laughs> but... <laughs> My point is, is your generation, our generation is very influenced by 9-11 and the generation after us starting in 1996, 97. Anyway, the younger generation is influenced heavily by school shootings and gun violence. So all of these things you can. And so the generations before us are very full of war. Vietnam, which we see during this movie, World War II before the generation before that, Korea not long after. So all of these war generations, now we're moving into different things, but it's just crazy to understand the influences that are out there. And this movie shows them. So I love the name of this town. Right, Knock'em Stiff? Knock'em Stiff. Oh, Knock'em Stiff. In Cold Creek, <laughs> West Virginia. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. I was cracking up in the intro. I had to go back. I was like, is that, is that really what I thought he said? And yeah, that was really what he said. Fuck him stiff. Guys, am I stupid? I'm a, I might be dumb. Like, what did I, you hear? I don't know. I just, I saw a K followed by like 19 letters and I guess I just zoned out. <laughs> I just didn't pay attention. Knock him stiff. Coal Creek, great town name for him to make up. Cause I don't think that town, at least knock him stiff exists. I, I'm from Ohio. Now I have been down in there 
there in that West Virginia, Ohio border, and they played that very well. The accents are true. It's very backwoods. And so there's a lot of crazy shit that can go on in those backwoods. And we start to see that from jump. But one thing that I want to talk about, and I want to get your guys' opinion, because I started to notice, well, he gives us the, the, the narrator tells you right at the beginning, right? So we have these two towns. There's everything in between where you drive, you know, the few hours to get from one to the other. And then he talks about how all these different people are connected between these two towns. So I knew we were starting on some path where all of these characters kind of like those, it's a dark, heavy version of like New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day. Those weird movies where all the different characters. I knew you were going to say Valentine's Day. (laughs) Casey loves all those movies. And so I watch them and they're entertaining, but this is like a very dark and heavy version of those, right? So you have all these characters that converge in very odd ways. And I really liked the way that this domino starts is this man comes home from war, goes to a diner, meets a waitress that he thinks is attractive, goes out to have a cigarette with her. And then his mom is planning on him marrying a different woman that she's helping with whose parents have died. And you see this choice laid out, right? If he goes home and chooses the one his mother wanted for him, none of this would have happened this way. Or at least you have to ask that question, right? All of those dominoes don't fall that way anymore. But because he chose that he had fallen in love with this waitress all fucking hell breaks loose in this movie did you guys notice any of that yeah i guess i didn't think about it like that i honestly thought like as i'm watching this i'm like i can either take away never trust a preacher or (laughs) never trust someone from ohio whoa and (laughs) i'm thinking i know i know a certain someone from ohio and i'm leaning more towards that one you know that guy's a real piece of shit <laughs> piece of work, that's for sure <laughs> now i picked up on that exact theme jj where it was a little bit of you turn left one thing happens you turn right another thing happens and it crops up everywhere in this movie i mean even the diner where they both go for the same seat who is it clark the serial killer and the soldier he's like oh my bad and he gives him the seat and because that happens sandy the waitress ends up serving carl and then that whole domino starts and i like that they kind of hinted at it a little bit where it talks about emma who's willard's mom where she says she felt that if she didn't keep her promise to god about him marrying this girl something bad was going to happen to her family and then all hell breaks loose in these two towns um so yeah i definitely felt that exact thing where it was a turn left one thing happens turn right another thing happens and you have to deal with a separate set of consequences for both your decisions i like this guy see because you caught because i'll be honest with you alec i missed the whole like i noticed them bumping into each other but i didn't really tie up the whole sandy waitress now becomes a serial killer with carl because she served him and the other character the soldier comes back and marries the nice waitress but everything goes to shit because of it like i didn't go all the way back so you that could catch sir i I have to believe that there's more to human nature than whoever you serve at a diner determines whether you're a fucking serial killer or you die from cancer right like there's gotta be more to life than that (laughs) hey of course there is well sure but is there really like that's the crazy part about life because think about this let me just we'll go down this road right you have to make this movie way more depressing for me (laughs) (laughs) i'm about to lighten life up for you here we are on this really cool podcast we're 30 
38 episodes in. We're in the midst of our 38th episode. We got some TV episodes. We're having a ball. We're great friends. You came over and shit yourself on my couch for 10 hours. You're coming to shit yourself again for 10 hours in two weeks. It's it's going to be the greatest thing. None of that would have happened if certain things hadn't happened within. They decide to rearrange the, the place I worked. I don't want to drop that name, but I used to work somewhere and they changed the structure of that place, which led me to looking for a different job because I wanted to stay where I was. I end up at Bridge. I meet you. I meet Matson. I meet Ian, all three through that. And now we're doing this podcast. Without the podcast, Alex not here hanging out with us in this format. So it is that way. Life is no, that. I'm not, it, I'm not saying that events don't lead into other events, but I'm saying whether or not I worked with you, JJ, I wouldn't become a serial killer. Well, the way that I saw it was you have Sandy who Carl liked. Like if he's being served by Charlotte, he might not even worry about it, might go somewhere else, but he likes Sandy. And so he can manipulate her and vice versa. I mean, Willard was attracted to Charlotte. He might not give Sandy the time of day, depending on who served. So it was a little bit of a happy accident. And what I like about this movie is you hear these happy accident stories and they're always happy, right? Always get married, have 16 kids, settle down in Utah, and life is good. (laughs) But this took the exact opposite turn and this is all the times that it could go bad like what would happen if that guy you met was a serial killer and takes that kind of spin and then this movie instead of being the happy-go-lucky ending every single one of them is bad the author just went the entire other way he was probably sick of hearing all these lovey-dovey stories and said you know what i'm gonna write an entire book where every decision you make is the wrong decision and your life is gonna suck i will i will say this though I for a while I had similar feelings that I did with Unhinged. I'm like a lot of these problems would be solved if people were strapped around here, you know. And then we get to the part where someone is strapped. I'm like, see, problem solved. <laughs> All you need is a nine millimeter. <laughs> I love it. So here's the cool part is now we've seen where these dominoes get triggered. And then we go back home with Willard. He comes back and he, I think his Emma, was his wife named Emma? Charlotte. Charlotte. That's right. I don't know where I get Emma. Emma's his mom. That's what it was. See, I knew that name was in there. So Charlotte, he he goes back to the diner. He gets Charlotte. They get married. They have a son, Arvin, which is definitely a West Virginia, Southern Ohio name. Just going to throw that out there. (laughs) That was a cute kid. Oh yeah. The little actor that plays young yeah. Arvin. Very cute kid. Again, where are we getting these child actors? That kid was incredible. Amazing, wasn't he? So we're introduced, obviously, early on to M- to Willard's mom being very religious, uh, a very pious woman, uh, as is the the girl that she wanted Willard to marry. There was that in the common, but everything from there just kind of goes to hell. You go to church with them, and then this preacher comes in and gives this sermon, which just creeped me out. He's given this sermon, and one, we all know, anybody that's listening to this podcast knows how I feel about organized religion. So I'm watching this going, see, organized religion is the problem. More <laughs> people from Ohio. Correlation does not mean causation. That's all I'm saying. Thought of you when I saw this. Jamie. Knock them stiff. Knock them <laughs> stiff. Ohio is the, of the devil. So... <laughs> 
Um, he comes in and he he gives this rousing sermon with his brother who's in a wheelchair and poor spider all spiders all over himself oh. talking about the fact that here's his biggest fear and God helped him overcome it. And if I didn't know at the beginning when we were in the South Pacific that this movie was going to be rough, I knew right then in that moment that he's preaching and he's leading through fear. This whole movie is going to be nothing but about giving into your fears and allowing those fears to drive your decisions, which is the next major topic that this movie covers that I like just fascinated me because almost every decision that's made is made out of fear. It's crazy. They get married. She marries the pious woman, marries this preacher. And then everything that goes on from there is about fear. They are afraid he gets bit by a spider. He's afraid he's going to die. He hides himself in a room with a swollen face because he's afraid of the spiders and he's afraid of death. They leave the child because he knows he's going to go be a dumbass and try to resurrect his wife right? So they go on this trip, leave the daughter, Lenora, with Willard's mom and uncle. And then he goes and he stabs her in the throat because he's afraid that he's not the most righteous and religious person. He thinks God's talking to him and he wants to prove that he's the greatest religious preacher, whatever. So he stabs his wife in the neck with a freaking screwdriver, watches her bleeds out, and then yells at God for 10 minutes trying to get her to resurrect. The fear, the level of fear driving decisions in this movie is batshit crazy to me. So I was really curious what happened to his crippled cousin that he just ditched on the side of the road. Oh, yeah, his brother. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh, was it his brother? Yeah. Did we ever circle back to that? Or is that guy just still in that car? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure somebody found him. <laughs> oh, I can't drive away. That's probably you know? the happiest ending in this movie is being left in a car. Like, that's the happiest ending that happened. That's so Which is true. funny because he's the worst person because the movie doesn't say this, but I looked up the book because I was kind of curious. And he is actually the one who convinces his brother to kill his wife. He's the one who suggests it. and the movie oh. kind of hints it because he's the one sharpening the screwdriver on the front porch. Mm. But he's the worst one in this film because he's kind of he's jealous of the fact that his brother's off spending time with his wife. And so he's the one who puts it in his mind. Hey, you should prove your faith to God by murdering your wife and resurrecting. And he knows she's not coming back. <laughs> but he also knows his brother's vulnerable enough to kind of buy into it. I love Javier's face right now. He uh, just melted his brain. Dude, I don't like You're that. welcome, Javier. <laughs> so here's the thing about stuff like this. So now that I'm, I'm a very sensitive guy, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but like <laughs> now that I'm like married and have a kid, anything that has to do with like a kid being orphaned or a kid getting beat up or abused, sexually abused at one point, like I like do not like it. That's why I'm like, this movie's so depressing because it really is. Like if you're sensitive, to that sort of stuff this movie will screw you up yeah it's a rough one things. anyway so that going back to that scene in the church though jj what i loved about it because that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is if you watch it back watch bill skarsgård's face uh, especially during the scenes in the congregation because he does facial expressions so well and you can see when Harry Melling, I think it is, right? When he's given yeah. a sermon, Bill Skargard's got that face that I had a lot of times in church, which is what am I listening to? Like he, he's, he's thinking, you know, I've been the South Pacific. I fought in a war and I mean, everybody else around him's given the hallelujahs and the amens. And he's got this look on his face. It's just like, this is really what I came back to. Like I've seen so much. I've had all these experiences. Did I actually used to listen to people like this? So I think that kind of really contributes to what happens later in the movie and him kind of constructing his own chapel is that he was just sitting there listening to this guy going, this guy's never been out of, you know, 
knock him stiff Ohio. He's never seen anything in the world. Why am I sitting here on a Sunday morning listening to him uh, kind of give his sermon? So that, that was something that was one of my favorite scenes just from watching Bill Skarsgård and what he's doing without having any lines of dialogue. I agree. That's a good point out. And somebody else that was in that scene that was really good was his future wife, the preacher's future wife that he kills. Because at the same time that you're talking about Bill Skarsgård having this look of confusion and disgust, she has this pure look of admiration in his face that here is this person that I am so religious and pious and, and want to be in God's favor. This man has got it. He's all about it and he knows everything about it. And I'm just all there. And she was all in from then on. And you can watch that. It was It's crazy that you bring that up that that juxtaposition of those two characters who the mom his mom will's mom wanted them to be together and watching them get turned off and turned on all at the same time that's a cool point i like that and speaking of the chapel that willard goes and builds so he goes and he builds himself a cross out in the woods by this house that they're renting up on the hill and he finds prayer again he writes his mom and tells him i've you know i've started praying again and kind of becomes like you said he makes his own church and his own you know spiritual place that he goes to introduces his son to where he needs to go and they have a happy little family for a handful of years right so he's nine years old up until that point everything seemed to be pretty good he teaches his son how to be a sneaky little beat somebody's ass that was the best part that's what i mean by texas justice you know (laughs) where he's like so they're praying Right. And those poachers are just like, I'm going to go bang your wife or whatever. And he doesn't say anything. He turns to his son and he says, this time is for the Lord. And no, don't let anyone interrupt. Right. And they finish praying. And then later, like, I don't even know, maybe the next day, later that day, like, we don't really know. He tells his son to get in the car because they're going to go put gas in the car. And they go to the gas station and he beats the shit out of that guy out of these poachers and he almost kills him he's like suffocating him in the mud and then he picks up his hunting rifle walks over to the truck where the other poacher is and with the butt of the rifle just crashes through the window beats that guy half to death gets in the car and he's like well i can't remember verbatim what he says but he's like he's like this is what i was telling you about those kids that pick on you pick the right time and you finish it and i'm like amazing like i'm gonna teach Jason that one day i'm gonna come <laughs> I'm going to come to one of your houses. I'm just going to beat the shit out of you one day. I'll be like, see that, Ethan? Just show up to their house. I'm just going to be lost in translation. And he's going to be so confused. <laughs> going to come to my house and beat the shit out of me and go, never invite me to a scary show again. And then go and beat I'm like, Wrong. you turned me into this, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> crazy part amazing lesson that was back in the 50s when you could do that kind of shit though yeah that's what i was thinking i was like i would 100 percent go to jail for 10 years for doing something like that to someone yeah bare minimum well you notice like there's people watching him going oh they must have deserved it and all they were doing was like telling him you're gonna kill him don't get his face out of the mud right like they weren't telling him don't beat his ass they were just saying don't kill him i'm saying man ah the 50s would have been good for me you know <laughs> or bad for me considering how many people don't appreciate things that i say <laughs> I appreciate them out here until I have to edit them. Then I don't appreciate them. Somewhere in this same vicinity, we're also seeing Carl and Sandy start with, poetically enough, the preacher who just killed his wife. They pick him up. He's hitchhiking away from his brother. We find him in the back of the car and he falls asleep. They pull into the woods out by a reservoir, a dam. They're all sitting. She's sitting there in a bra and a skirt and Carl's encouraging him. Hey, you're going to go fuck my wife and I'm going to take some pictures. And then Carl, his first 
first, which we find out later, his first kill is this preacher and he shoots him in the face after he re- the preacher refuses to cheat on his wife with Carl's wife. So the wife he killed with a screwdriver. Exactly. Because <laughs> he's a good husband. Yeah, he's a good husband. Point. He's going to get his daughter. At least he didn't cheat on her. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. Fucking asshole. Yeah. And that's when you're introduced to Carl. And Carl is a, that's a nasty duo right there. But played beautifully by Jason Clark. So believable. Creepy as shit. Made me uncomfortable every time he was on screen. He's like greasy. He's about to say sweaty and greasy and gross. Which is such a contrast to what he was in the diner. Because in the diner, he's got the sharp dress. He's got the hat. So I kind of saw that as, you know, he's hunting in the diner for his compatriot. And as soon as he's got her, then the real kind of Carl comes out, which is a sweaty, greasy, alcoholic creepotastic kind of guy but i mean he was creepotastic yeah uh, but he was hunting in the diner he was hunting for his you know partner in crime someone he could get and so he's got the he's got the sharp look going and then once, he's, once he's found it now you see the real carl come out and the real carl is this big old scary dude <laughs> not good at all so later on, we, you know, now we're introduced to all the players, right? Later on, we see young Arvin and his dad. They come home from the troop of beating somebody's ass. Mom is passed out in the kitchen. There's smoke everywhere. We find out mom has cancer. So Charlotte is dying. Dad decides he's going to pray the cancer away. Doctor, oh, not just pray. Mm-mm. Not yet. <laughs> but he starts with <laughs> prayer, right? He's, he goes down and prays and he makes Arvin pray in one of, to me, one of the most uncomfortable scenes in this whole movie is they're at the the tree, his little cross, the prayer tree, and he's, Willard is yelling at God, you know, save my wife, whatever, you know, take away this cancer, burn this cancer out. And he's literally forcing Arvin to pray, making him shout as a child the same thing, save my mother, save my mama. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, this is disgusting. Like, and this to me is the start of the next theme of this movie. And that is people taking advantage of their positions of power. We have a father who is forcing his innocent nine-year-old son to pray and scream and holler to God to save his mother, not because you have faith or you believe, but because you're afraid of losing your wife. She's the thing that's grounded you since you've come home from the war. And now all of a sudden she's going away and you're forcing your child instead of helping him through this time and being there for each other, you're forcing him to pray. It it just, it made me squirm. That whole scene was like, oh, disgusted me. And then it gets worse, but yeah. Yeah. That's another big part of this movie. I don't like because I am very adamantly against abusive like relationship dynamics, right? So like a preacher to someone in their congregation or a teacher to a student or a parent to a child, right? Like anytime there's an abuse of an authority uh, of a, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Abuse of power. Authoritative. Yeah. Anytime a, an authority figure abuses someone over which they have like authority or trust really bothers me. And that happens a lot in this movie. Like not just then, but you know, I keep dancing around it, but like uh, the you know, a preacher sexually assaults multiple women in his congregation. And so you see that thing bounce around and I'm like, man, people from Ohio, dude, unbelievable. <laughs> You got to drop that Ohio thing, Javier, because if this movie takes place in Hollywood in the 2000s, you got movie execs doing it to up and coming actors and actresses. It's just just placing. (laughs) They're probably from Ohio, though. (laughs) 
at this point, the dad Willard does go too far. He realizes he's going to try to sacrifice, um, like you know Abraham, who was asked to sacrifice sacrifice his son. They even the narrator mentions the fact that he remembers that. So he takes Arvin's dog, his their beloved family dog, gives him a last meal and takes him out to the shed and shoots him. And Arvin comes out just in time to realize what's happened. Willard takes it down and basically crucifies this dead dog, hangs this dog from the cross that he's built at this prayer tree, and then again begins to shout at God to save his wife. Well, long story short, his wife passes away. Charlotte dies. Arvin swears that he's going to go give his dog a proper burial. After the funeral, he goes out to get the dog down and he finds his dad has killed himself, that Willard has killed himself at the tree by cutting his own throat. Now Willard is in the span of a day, buried his mother and found his father dead. He goes down to the local gas station slash convenience store, sits with a man while they wait for the newly minted police officer, Officer Bodecker, to come down and take his statement. What a fucking nutty 20 minutes of this movie. Like, poor Arvin, this poor bastard. He was never going to be okay growing up. And we get another one of those choices uh, after the funeral, because Willard is saying, let's go down to Cole Creek. We'll go spend some time with Grandma. Heading left. And Arvin is just so mad because he's lost his mom. He's lost his dog. I mean, he's nine years old, so he's projecting all of his anger onto his father, who he kind of sees as the reason behind a lot of this. And so he turns right, gets out of the truck, goes and eats the pie, and then Willard ends up committing suicide. Whereas if they had taken the trip down to Cole Creek, uh, you know, Willard seeing his parent, his mom, his uncle kind of being around family, maybe something else happens. Maybe he just drops Arvin off and goes back and then commits suicide. But you still have a little bit different of a story that happens versus what actually did happen that's another great point another one of those tipping decisions that you had there what a great point this movie is so nuts at that point it does jump to a a more adult arvin he's obviously fresh out of high school he's been living with grandma and uncle there in cole creek and so he's also had his stepsister, Lenora, who was the preacher and his wife's daughter, the poor lady that got stabbed in the neck, and then the, the preacher that got killed by Carl and Sandy. They become very close. She's very much like her mother, very quiet and pious. He's very much like his dad, very brooding, very angry, very protective of his family. And so you see their interactions. He takes her to her mother's grave, which she goes to every week. They go to church with grandma because grandma's still a very religious woman. And at this point, a new preacher preacher is going to be brought into the to lead the congregation because the old one is just too old he's too tired too sick so he's retiring getting done and they bring in robert pattinson and he had the best what name a and a piece I- of shit dude terrible piece of shit man right from the get-go you're just like what a fucking prick dude sorry we're getting ahead i just hate that guy no you can't because that's i mean we can talk about it he he's one of these characters like i to me i look at him as like this moment when he comes in is like the dead center of this movie and when everything goes from bad to really really bad and he's right at the center of a lot of it and he's got the worst fucking name reverend preston tea garden what a yeah southern ohio that's why i became a preacher (laughs) preston tea garden 
I will give this. So up until this point, everybody that's been in this movie, every character, every actor is believable. I don't look at the screen and see Jason Clark. I don't see Bill Skarsgård. I don't see Tom Holland. I see these characters. That's how good the acting is in this movie, that I believe every single character in this movie is who they say they are. They're living in these accents. They're coming through. It's crazy how good the acting is. And as much as it's been so good to this point, Robert Pattinson, this very high society British dude, emo British weird guy. Like if you listen to it, he's a fun loving kind of a cigarette smoking, alcohol drinking, goofy British dude from downtown London. He played creepy ass high pitched Tennessee draw. And I was like, so I was like, what the fuck am I watching right now? (laughs) This is the greatest performance ever. I love this. He blew me away at how good he played. And I hated him because he's such a piece of shit character. When he starts belittling the mom, the grandma has this hard time because she wants to bring something nice for him for a meal, right? They're told to bring meals. She goes and gets chicken livers and fries up chicken livers because they're poor and they're only 11 cents a pound. She makes these chicken livers. She's told she has the best chicken livers. I mean, they looked pretty good for chicken livers, but takes them. He like eats some juice. It's just has this look on his face. And then he belittles her in front of the entire congregation about the fact that he's going to eat these chicken livers and everybody else can take their fine food home with them. What a fucking asshole. What a huge dick. What a dick move, dude. Could you imagine taking food to a potluck and you're like, yeah, this is all I could whip together. And some person's like, I will make the sacrifice and eat this food. You guys eat the rest of the good food. And he doesn't even call it food. He calls it organs. I'm going to take these organs. Oh, you fucking prick. Uh, And she's the nicest person in this whole fucking show. The the grandma. For sure. She's sweet. She's nice. She cares about everybody. Oh, the only stable character we have in this whole movie is her and her husband. Yeah, go, going back to that butcher shop scene is my favorite line in the entire movie. Uh, when Tom Holland's character, Arvin, kind of looks at his grandma, he's like, he's just a preacher. Like, why are you getting so worked <laughs> up about it? And I love that because already, I mean, Arvin's only 16, 17 years old. He can already see through all the kind of just bogus crap that's going on. And you can probably attribute that to his terrible childhood. But he's already looked at the fact he's like, he's just a preacher. I mean, and I don't know how small town Ohio worked in the 1950s, but preacher is obviously a very important position. And you can see from the previous preacher, who was actually a really good guy, well-liked, kind of was in was being a preacher for what I would say are the right reasons, uh, because it's what he wanted to do, versus the new preacher coming in, who clearly just is in it, so he doesn't have to do anything else. He's in it for a little bit of the cushy life, the obviously figure out later the ability to abuse his authority over people. But I mean, Arvin gets it right from their get-go. He's like, why are you making such a fuss? He's just a preacher. I mean, you can go down into any town, throw a rock and hit one. They're all over the place. And so he's already judging people based on actions versus based on kind of their faith or who they are, who they're supposed to be, who they're supposed to represent. Because we kind of see that a little bit. You know, everybody's like, oh, you sound like a good Christian. Roy Lafferty says that to Carl right after they pick him up. So you have this kind of underlying theme of people are just oh, you're a Christian, you're a nice guy. And really, maybe not. You got to judge them based on their actions and not just their faith, not just what they say they believe. And so that was my favorite line because Arvin gets it already. He doesn't need any help getting there. And grandma kind of gets it afterwards where she says, he wasn't the preacher I was expecting, but Arvin already knows. He's like, doesn't matter. Get him, get him whatever you can do because he's just a preacher. So that, that was my favorite line in the entire, 
entire movie is when Arvin said that. It's a good one. I mean, he's a rapist, you know, before anything else. And, and then he, he's a preacher. <laughs> sure. Rapist and pedophile. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we might as well just get this out of the way because and then we'll talk about Carl and Sandy again. But, you know, at this point, we start to realize Lenora, much like her mother, because she's so pious and religious and wants to be of God, she finds herself in a position to fancy the current priest, Tea Garden. <laughs> she's stuck in the rain at her mother's. He run, she runs into the and he immediately takes advantage and takes a drive. And it's very obvious what he's after. He takes advantage, uses his power and position to rape her and yeah, has sex with her and then gets her pregnant at some point and then denies it right he has his whole sermon telling people like hey there are delusional people out there man out to get the holy ones of the lord right and then tries to convince her that she's delusional he's like i don't know what you're talking about and she's like don't you remember all those things we did in your car and he's like i don't know what to tell you but you need to get rid of it because you're a whore and i'm like oh dude as soon as he called her a whore i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna rip your dick off and make you choke on it dude that is is unacceptable to me. Yeah, it, it was gross. And again, right in theme with this abuse of power and position throughout this movie. It, it's just insane. And moving further into that, I don't want to jump into how Arvin reacts yet, but somewhere in the similar area, we start to get more. We come back to Sebastian Stan's character. He's now the sheriff, which he proclaimed he was going to be to some girl he was getting a hand job from at the beginning of the movie. Um, he's going to be a great hand job too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looked a little awkward to me, but whatever. <laughs> so Sheriff Bodecker is, he's now the sheriff in the area. We find out that Sandy is his sister. So she's off killing people, these young men, and they've pretty much perfected. They've been doing it for years now. Carl and Sandy have, she has pictures of it. They take all these pictures. They're all in the house. She's looking through them. You can start to tell she's having regrets, but you now have Bodecker, who's again, using his power and influence to keep his own power. And then he's afraid of losing it, which drives him his decisions moving. There's that fear driving decisions again. Arvin is, Lenore's getting picked on by these three guys at school. Arvin goes and gets his ass kicked trying to defend her. And then he takes in his dad's philosophy, wait for the right time, and absolutely beats the bloody shit out of these three guys all separately. Like goes and finds them. Like I was The just guy like, in the bus. Dude, oh, like yeah. This movie it, is full of interrupted sex and interrupted by getting your ass kicked. <laughs> right like pulls a guy out of the bus and beats him with like a crowbar or something like i don't know what did he have i don't even know what he had but oh that was brutal dude and at the end he's putting those bags those those paper bags because they put a paper bag on lenora's head because they thought she was ugly so he puts a paper bag on his head and he punches the dude's face and he grabs his head through the bag and he's like if you ever touch my sister again i will kill you do you understand and i was like oh i believe him oh, i yeah. was like after getting a beating like that and someone says if you do that again i will end your life you're like i 100 believe you and it it Ooh. led to another great line a little bit later because it somebody brings it up to him about him beating these kids ass like he, he's his just uncle. barely recovering yeah his uncle he's like he's just starting to get back to normal he goes yeah but they haven't touched lenora since have they <laughs> i'm like fucking hey right <laughs> yeah because uncle's like i still think you could have held back a little bit like, yeah but they haven't touched lenora, lenora have they ends do justify the means i suppose i loved that moment i love that too but i also hated it because at the time like he leaves her the one day that he leaves her at the grave alone is the day where preston tea garden prays on her and he does it because in his mind i mean they've gone i don't know every day to the grave nothing bad happened but now is a good time to go beat up her bullies 
So he's like, I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to go get the bullies that are after Lenora. And then while he's off doing that, I mean, the title of the movie in the book is The Devil All the Time. And he's off doing that and the devil slips in the back door and gets Lenora. And so I loved it and I hated it because I was like, the one time you left her on her own. And then that really kind of starts that steamroll to Lenora's eventual problems that she has. Dude, her death was the oh. single most depressing one out of this whole movie. That's hard. About, yeah, to do would... it, about to hang herself and then decides against it, but slips off the bucket. Trying yeah. to get the noose off. Oh, so I just was like, no. And especially when you think about it from the point that Alex just made, it's another one of those decisions, right? If he makes the decision to stay with her instead of going to beat their asses, that shit never happens. But he doesn't. He decides to go defend her in that way. And then she falls down in that trap. Now that leads to her hanging, trying to hang herself and then deciding against it, but slipping off the bucket. Oh, it hurt. Dude, and the preacher wouldn't even like say any words at her funeral. I was like, this fucking prick, dude. Oh, he makes me so mad. Well, and here's the worst part. So this is why most of the time I hate movies that have like a narrator, but the narration in this movie added so much value to this movie. So at that moment when she falls off at right before she falls off the bucket and dies, he says, no one will ever know she's not a suicide. And my brain immediately went to these religious zealots that live in this town are going to condemn her because she made a mistake and she slipped and died and it looks like a suicide. So now she's going to hell no matter what. This is a great human being that was going through struggles, had a very hard life, but figured out that what she was about to do was not what she wanted to do. And change, But then an accident led to her death. And I knew that they were going to be pricks about it. And then you get to see that come to fruition in the movie. It was so good because I was already mad when he, when the narrator said that, like my blood started boiling going, these fuckers. And then it played out just the way you know it's going to, which just added to that angst that I had about how that kind of mentality is just disgusting. We, we vilify these people that are going through things and for what? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't help us. It doesn't help them. Instead of trying to remember and love them that way, it's now all of a sudden we vilify them and it, oh, it just made me so mad. So it's a great point that he, the preacher won't even give a sermon about her. And not only that, but he's moved on to another underage girl that he is raping and molesting in the name of God. Oh, it's gross. The other thing that I noticed, so this is a great time to bring this up because we're getting ready to wrap this whole thing up when everything goes to the climax. But the last final theme that I saw is almost everyone that does something shitty in this movie, almost, not everyone, but almost everyone that does some shitty stuff does it in the name of God. Okay, so that the whole religious undertone of, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to bash on people's beliefs, that's not who I am, but the amount of things that are done in this world in the name of God. If there was one, he would not want these things done, and certainly not in his name, but we find that a lot of times when someone does something shitty, oh, God told me to do it. God made it right. This I'm doing this in the name of God, and it's just like, it was crazy for me to watch that going, that still happens today, but that's a huge thing theme for me that I caught. And you see a lot of people, both the preacher, two of the preachers, her hanging herself, her having sex with the preacher, this girl, it just, all of it was done in the name of God and religion. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that they really got that Southern, like wrathful God belief, right? Like I consider myself pretty religious and, and, and I, and Christian, and I don't think I believe the same. So it's really interesting that like, I'm doing this in the name of God because God has done vengeful things and he, he will continue to do vengeful things and violent things even. And so this isn't weird, right? Like violence is in the Bible, it's in the scripture, 
scriptures. God is violent sometimes. That's just how he talks. I don't believe that. Right. (laughs) um, So it's really interesting. Yeah. Like, like you were saying how people were justifying their actions because they believed that their God would do something like this, or it's not beyond the idea that God would ask me to kill my wife. And that's weird to me, right? Like, like me as a person. (laughs) So yeah, I, I find, I found that pretty interesting too. A little disgusting, a little disappointing on the Christian front, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I think like you or me, like in particular, I can believe whatever I want so long as it doesn't infringe on someone else. Right. So like, and that's something that's very missed by these people. Like you got the preacher in the closet who's like, I'm going to go kill my wife. Right. I'm like, look, man, you can believe whatever you want. You can, you can deep throat spiders all day. But as soon as it involves like depriving someone else of something like their life like that, you've got to draw the line there. Right. Like as soon as it, it comes to depriving your son of his dog, like you got to draw the line there, dude. Like draw the line at your beliefs are inflicting pain on someone else. No, I agree. I think that's very well religion for you. (laughs) Very well said. All right. So let's hit the climax of this movie. Arvin finds out about, he stalks the preacher after Lenora's death because things start to add up that he realizes that the preacher had something to do with it um, in some way. So he stalks the preacher, finds out that the preacher's still having sex with another one, realized that it was happening with Lenora because one of the police officers comes and says, hey, they did a, an autopsy. She was pregnant. He put two and two together. He figured it out. So he goes to the preacher with his dad's Luger, which he brought home from the war, gave to his uncle. His uncle then gifted it to Arvin, takes that thing to the, the church house, sits down, has a very deep conversation with the preacher. A fantastic, tense, unbelievable moment in this movie. If you don't watch all of this movie, go watch that scene. It's probably 20, 30 minutes left in the movie. Go check this out. Tom Hardy, Robert Pattinson. That was such an amazing. Oh, I wish Tom Hardy was in here. They're not Tom Hardy. God, Tom, <laughs> if Hardy. Tom Hardy was in this movie. It'd be done in five minutes. Because <laughs> everybody be dead. Tom Hardy <laughs> would fuck everyone up and then game over. That's my bad. Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. Just an unbelievable scene between these two. Arvin kills the preacher, drives as far as he can. The car breaks down. He then starts hitchhiking. He's picked up by Sandy and Carl. They're going to do his thing. Arvin still has the pistol on him. Sandy's ready to betray Carl. Carl has swapped her gun with blanks. All hell breaks loose. Arvin kills Sandy and Carl. Sheriff Bodecker is called to the scene of his sister's murder. All of a sudden, everything converts. Arvin's going to go home to knock him stiff one last time and then be on the road. The sheriff, they figure out that it, he's connected to the preacher murder and now Sandy and Carl's murder due to the gun and the timing of it all. The sheriff goes up to kill Arvin at the prayer log because Arvin's trying to bury his dog finally. He's burying the bones of his dog. Gun battle ensues. Sheriff gets shot. Arvin leaves him there, gets in another hitchhiker's car, tries to fight sleep but falls asleep. As the narrator's talking about everything that's happened and all these connections, we realize all the connections have come now. Arvin's pretty much the only person left in this hitchhiker's car. As he falls asleep, screen goes black. End of movie. And then Javier immediately exits out because... Okay, the last 30 minutes of this movie are so intense. Like, I was uncomfortable most of the movie because of all the things you're dealing with. But, like, I was literally on the edge of my seat because I had a feeling everyone was going to die. But you're sitting there going, let Tom Holland live. Let me have one good thing out of this movie. And that is that Tom Holland gets to live. So I was worried. But I didn't know. Like, maybe this is where everybody dies. You don't know that he lived, right? He fell asleep in a car with a stranger. Maybe going to black was him dying. So, JJ, I don't know if you picked 
this up because you might have. Was the driver at the end Charles Manson? Oh, that's such a great question. And you know what? Because it's the same vehicle. It's a hippie. Charles Manson was around Cincinnati at the time where this guy is headed. And I I, I cheated and I looked online and there's other people who kind of got this vibe. So I was wondering what your thoughts were because on on my second watch through, I was like, dude, you know, I mean, Arvin has not had a good life. No. There's no way it's going to end on a high note after this. Like something's going wrong. I mean, he's, he's pretty much sentenced to have just the worst life ever. And the way to have the worst life ever after all that is to get in a van, which Charles Manson and false. I did get some creepy vibes from that driver, that little hippie dude. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? No. Well, and here's the worst part. So yes, and I did the same thing. I got on and I researched the book a little bit, and I I, I started reading those same theories, and I'm like, motherfucker, you just ruined my beautiful ending because in my head I had created this scenario where this poor bastard has been through all of the worst shit in his life, and now he's either gonna die to Charles Manson or he's going to California with him because he's just psycho enough that he could have become part of the Manson group. You know what I mean? Change his name, whatever. So there's that indication of, and the narrator as I watched it the second time, the narrator's lines as he's falling asleep are very ominous. You can create the beautiful scenario like I did at the end of the first time I watched it. The second time, once you hear it, it's just dark enough and the way that he acts, he uses his tone and inflection at certain parts. He's saying to you, yes, against all odds, he has gotten into a terrible hitchhiking car for the second time into days where someone's either going to try to kill him or he's going to end up killing more people and i was just like god damn it (laughs) because i wanted it to be like yes he drives off he gets to like cincinnati and everything's great but there's no way it's like you said alec this guy was destined from the very beginning he was going to be fucked from the beginning to end and that's just the next line he just killed everybody and that was in his circle now it's his time to just be done and we close off this loop right because the whole thing's a giant fucking rube goldberg machine yeah one little thing triggers the next triggers the next triggers the next and you got to close that loop somewhere yeah i'm with you it, okay it was i was i was wondering if you'd picked it up because it took me my second watch through and i was like oh i was like there 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 has to be a reason why they showed this guy and they showed a profile so you kind of think about it. i was like hippie bus heading to cincinnati i was like that's too specific <laughs> yep <laughs> You know, I resent the idea, Alec, that you only think JJ would catch that and Ian and I couldn't, you Dude, know. I'm pretty sure you just saw you got in a bus and you're like, okay, happy ending, let's go. My my <laughs> guess is, is Javier went, why would you hitchhike again? Yeah, that actually, that actually was. I'm like, at this point, what's another body, dude? Just kill this dude, take the car, at least you know you're safe, right? And I imagine Ian just had such a hard time watching this movie in general that he was like, I don't want to think anymore about it. So he was just yeah, done with it. I was out. But me, I'm like you, Alec. I was like, I need to know more. He doesn't have his Luger anymore either. Oh, yeah, he doesn't have his Luger. Oh, that's right. He buried it with his dog. Oh, he's yeah. really fucked. Yeah. An idiot. He's part of the Manson family now, man. That's right. Seriously, that's <laughs> what my thought was. I was like, son of a bitch. He's Manson family because he's got that twisted gene. He's a little fucked up. And you get Manson twisting on you a little bit. Can't yeah. not be after his life. <laughs> Crazy. All right, you guys ready to rate this thing? So ready. All right, if you guys haven't been listening to us or new to the podcast, zero to five scales, zero being absolute dog shit, five being a beautiful, epic movie. Let's kick it off. Javier, why don't you give us a start? I'm going to be generous, actually, and I'm going to give this a two. It gets a two because there was really good acting, and I appreciated watching all the bad people either get beat up or shot. I I did. that, That was not wasted on me. But other than that, guys... 
this movie is really depressing. <laughs> and I know there's some of you who like sadness is the same as happiness to you. Like you just like get your rocks off to just depression. And if that's you, then you'll like this movie. But I'm not that person. It was so sad and so depressing. And I wanted to cry like eight times, including when the dog died. And it's just it's just a lot. So two, I probably won't watch it again. No, I'm not going to watch this again. I need to go watch like Dora the Explorer or something. I'll go, as I've said a million times throughout this part, I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. The trailer does not do this movie justice. It makes it feel like it's going to be some mystery thriller kind of thing. And it, it's not. It, you know, this is just a character-driven story of interwoven lives. It was really well done. The acting is some of the best I've seen in a long time, especially from this kind of ensemble cast. These ensemble movies usually have two or three that are really great and everybody else is just good. This movie, there was not a performance that I wasn't just inspired by and awed by how good the acting was. I love the story. I love the twists. I really love all the underlying currents and themes in this movie. It's really heavy because of all of it. If I had one real knock to this movie, it's the length. I feel like there could have been some fancy editing. There might have been some time on Carl and Sandy that didn't need to necessarily be there. I'm giving this a four and a half. I will watch this movie again, but it'll be a while because it is very heavy. I've watched it twice in two days and that's enough for months at a time, but I I did enjoy it and I will watch it again. Ian. I've been really quiet this whole time and I just struggled with this movie. It was rough for me. Like it, it, it was to the point where it was so depressing and sad that I knew there was stuff to glean from it, but I just couldn't get past like all these bad things happening over and over and over. So it was rough. I definitely won't watch this movie again. Even if like I had somebody that I I have never seen it. I want to watch it. Like I can't do it. I know that there's deeper meaning in this movie, but like I said, for me, like I just couldn't get to it because of what the movie was. I the acting was not lost on me. The acting was great. Each of these, like has been said, the characters played their character to a T. But for what I go to movies for, I go to get away from that because I felt like this was like a newsreel of all the bad stuff that happens. So <laughs> I'm gonna give it a one. That's not because it's like a terrible movie, but more from my perspective of what I'm looking for a movie to do for me, it doesn't. So there it is. All right. Well, Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thanks, Ian. Alec, round us out. Absolutely. So I don't think it's been any secret that I kind of agree with JJ for most of the parts of this movie. What? <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie, but I probably will not watch it again just because of how demented and heavy it is. But for for the first, you know, I watched it twice as well. For those two times, I mean, there's no denying this is a phenomenal movie. It's not a personal favorite of mine. It's not going in my top five favorite movies that I've ever watched. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is phenomenal. So I'm going to give it a four. It would be higher, except I can't watch this movie with my grandma. So in order to be a five, I got it's got to be grandma approved. It wouldn't it wouldn't be able to watch with grandma. So it gets docked down to a four. What like movie that. can you watch with grandma? <laughs> I fucking Casablanca, the court jester. Right? Your grandma watches Casablanca with you? Dude, she was like eight when that came out. Of course she watches it. <laughs> Amazing. Dude, I fucking love that. Right? Like, that's going to be my new description of five from here on out. It's five. Heck yeah. Something you want to watch with grandma. That is. If, if you can watch it with grandma, it's a five. If you can't watch it with grandma, you got to go lower. <laughs> 
Sweet. All right. Well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Go check this movie out. Or if you're not into heavy, depressing movies, you might want to pass on this one. If you love good performances, check this one out, though. Also, make sure to join us next week. We're going to be reviewing the Netflix original, Enola Holmes. Alec, dude, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate you coming in and, and hosting with us. Oh, awesome. absolutely. It was a pleasure. Like I said, it's a 2020 quarantine dream come true right here, being on the What's Our Verdict podcast. Hell yeah, man. I will look forward to continually reading your, your messages. If you guys want to check those out and you know comment with Alec, check us out at whatsourverdict.com. You can also go there and join our mailing list. Like I said, we're going to be sending out a monthly newsletter that'll let you know what's coming up through that month. Plus, we've got some exclusive content for only people that are signed up from there. Uh, I don't know, Alec, did you get the bloopers that we sent out the first time? I have not gotten the bloopers. There's bloopers? There's bloopers. So I'll get that out to you. It's set up now automated. So if you come and join us, it'll go out automatically. You'll get access to that. But you can only have access if you join our mailing list. So hop into whatsourverdict.com. Check us out. Check out our YouTube channel. That's where we're going to start housing our spoiler-free reviews as well as more trailer reactions. There's our verdicts. Take it. Run with it. Hope you enjoy this movie. If you watch it, we've enjoyed having you here with us. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye now. Cinematic out.